Well, let's take our Bibles here this morning and uh, turn with me to 2 Kings, 2 Kings uh, chapter number 19. And I'd like to bring to you a message uh, entitled, Hezekiah's Battle Plan, as we look at these six verses from 2 Kings chapter number 19. We're going to read from verse number 14 uh, down to verse number 19 here this morning. 2 Kings chapter 19, verse number 14, uh, down to verse number 19. The Bible reads, And Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God. Even thou alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which has sent him to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they have destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for this awesome opportunity to be uh, in this chapel today. And Lord, as we look into the scriptures, as we look into the principles that you have for us within the Bible here this morning, I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you would speak to our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would challenge us. I pray, Father, that you would strengthen and encourage us during this hour. And then, Lord, for those that are maybe praying about the possibility of planning a church here in the future, I pray, Lord, that you would make that very clear for them even this morning. And I pray, Father, that you would use us, that we can make a difference in the Great Commission in telling others about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this morning, and we pray now that you bless this time that we have together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Oftentimes throughout the Bible, the Christian life is depicted as a soldier. It is pictured as one who is engaged in a battle a spiritual warfare. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 3, the Bible reads, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter number 6, verse number 10, a very familiar passage for all of us here this morning, the Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that he may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that he may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And then we find in the following verses there, it teaches us that we need to put on the loins, gird about with truth, that we need to be rooted in the foundations that we find in the Word of God. And then it speaks about the breastplate of righteousness, that we must uh, live a pure life, that we must live a holy life before the Lord. And then it speaks about having our feet shod with the preparation 
of the gospel of peace. It speaks about the shield of faith so that we can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And then it speaks about the helmet of salvation, that we would uh, be confident concerning our identity in the Lord Jesus Christ, that all spiritual blessings have been bestowed upon those who are in Christ to those who are accepted within the beloved. And then it speaks about the sword of the Spirit, that we must wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then as we come to verse number 18, the Bible says there, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And we find there within that concluding verse the importance of prayer. And I believe with all my heart this morning that prayer is an indispensable part when it comes to our Christian warfare, when it comes to the battles that we face against uh, the, the, the wicked one and the things of our flesh, it is prayer that is needful for each and every one of us here this morning. I think about the words of George Duffield. He wrote the hymn, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. And I think about that third stanza. He writes there, Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. Ye dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor. Each piece put on with prayer. Where duty calls or danger be never wanting there. And I believe here today that the greatest battle plan that we can employ in our Christian life is a life of prayer. And could I also say here this morning that the greatest battle plan that we can employ when it comes to planting and starting a church is a life of prayer. And some of you might ask here this morning, does not employing the right methodology help as you begin a church? And of course it does, that you would have the right methods and that you would uh, be somewhat contextual to the context of where you are at, uh, but that's not the answer of it all. Some of you might ask here this morning, does reaching a 100% support level before you launch out, does that help in starting that church? And yes, of course it does. And you might wonder, does having a team help when you start a church? And and once again, yes, it does. And, and you might wonder, does having the right facility help? And yes, it does. But all of that without prayer is futile. And all of that without prayer is all in vain. For at the end of the day, what we desperately need is not a nice platform uh, what we desperately need is not a popular social media presence, and what we desperately need are not talented musicians. Thank God if you have all of that, but what you desperately need here this morning to be successful in planning a church for the Lord Jesus Christ is a life of prayer, is a life that moves forward on our knees with the Lord Jesus Christ. For without prayer, we will never experience God's power upon our lives. And without prayer, we will never experience God's blessings upon our church. Billy Sunday said, if you are a stranger to prayer, you are a stranger to the greatest source of power known to human beings. As we think about our passage here this morning, King Hezekiah was a man uh, that knew the power of God through prayer. Uh, when we study the kings of Israel and Judah, we often find certain characteristics or strengths that God seems to highlight in the brief accounts that we are given 
uh, within the word of God. I think about King Josiah. He had a tender heart. Uh, He was humble before the Lord. Uh, I think about Solomon. He was a man of great wisdom. He had uh, great administration skills as we read about his kingdom within the Bible. I think about King David. He was a man of great faith and he uh, conquered the giant Goliath and he was a man who had a heart after God's own heart. And then this morning as we think about King Hezekiah, we find that he was a man that was mighty in prayer. For twice we read throughout the Bible that God answered his prayer concerning a situation that seemed impossible. And I think about the account in 2 Kings chapter number 20 towards the end of his life. Uh, He was sick unto death and uh, Isaiah is sent to tell him to place his house in order. And the Bible teaches as Hezekiah received that news, he turned in his bed and he turned his uh, face towards the wall and began praying before God. And, and the Bible teaches us that as, as Isaiah was leaving, even before he left the palace, in the middle court there, God tells him that he heard Hezekiah's prayer and God extends his life for another 15 years. And then in our passage here this morning, we find that Hezekiah, in the middle of his reign, uh, in, his, in his 14th year, he is surrounded and besieged by the armies of Assyria. And once again, in an impossible predicament, through prayer, God gives him a miraculous victory. And so as we study these verses that we find in 2 Kings chapter 19 and also uh, a little bit in chapter 18, I want you to notice with me uh, several thoughts concerning Hezekiah's battle plan and the incredible victory that he experienced in the Lord. First of all, I want you to notice with me here this morning, I find here the situation that had developed, the situation that had developed. And if you have your Bibles open, I want you to notice just a little bit about the background uh, as we look into chapter 18. And first of all, I find here that it was a physical warfare. It was a physical warfare in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse number 13. It says, now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah did Sennacherib, king of Assyria, come up against all the fenced cities of Judah and took them. You see, the Assyrian Empire dominated the biblical Middle East from the 9th century B.C. to the 7th century B.C. They conquered an area comprising what is now known as Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, and Jordan. Their capital city was Nineveh, and they were known as a fierce and cruel nation that showed very little mercy over those that they had conquered. And at this time in history, the Assyrians had already conquered the northern tribes of Israel. Furthermore, they had taken all the fence cities and the wall cities of Judah, the southern kingdom. And according to the annals of Sennacherib, he had successfully laid siege on 46 fortified cities. And now he had trapped Hezekiah in the city of Jerusalem like a caged bird. I think about what Micah writes about here concerning this situation in Micah 1, verse number 8 and 9. It says, Therefore I will wail and howl. I will go stripped and naked. I will make a wailing like the dragons and mourning as the owls. For her wound is incurable, for it is come unto Judah. He is come unto the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. And so the entire nation of Judah was on the brink of complete defeat, with really Jerusalem standing as its final bastion of hope. And so we find here that the Assyrian army now has besieged the city of Jerusalem. Uh, There's about 185,000 trained Assyrian soldiers uh, outside of the city, and they are ready to attack, awaiting the command of their king, 
Sennacherib. And so we find here the situation that is developing. It's a physical warfare. But I want you to notice also we read here that it's a psychological warfare as well. As Jerusalem is besieged by the armies of the Assyrians, King Sennacherib launches a psychological campaign to deceive and to discourage the Jewish people, to really undermine their spirit of their resistance so that they would give up and surrender to Assyria. And so King Sennacherib sends three of his uh, trusted advisors that we read about here to uh, dishearten the Israelites. He sends Tartan, he sends Rapsaris, and uh, he sends the Rapshakah. And they come to the wall of Jerusalem, and now they are met with King Hezekiah's trusted advisors. There are three there as well, Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah. And with a loud voice in the Jews' language, they do not say, uh, they do not speak in Aramaic, but they speak in Hebrew so that they can discourage those that are living uh, near the walls of Jerusalem. And they speak in the Jews' language and they begin to discourage the people. They begin to uh, cast doubt within their minds concerning their resistance to the empire of Assyria. And in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 19, we find that they begin by questioning their alliances. They begin by uh, questioning their trust that they have in the Lord. And the Bible says there in verse number 19, and Rabshakeh said unto them, speak ye now to Hezekiah, thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, what confidence is this wherein thou trustest? Thou sayest, but they are but vain words. I have counsel and strength for the war. Now on whom dost thou trust that thou rebellest against me? Now behold, thou trustest upon the staff of this bruised reed, even upon Egypt, on which if a man lean, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, unto all that trust on him. But if he say unto me, we trust in the Lord our God, is not that he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah hath taken away and has said to Judah and Jerusalem, ye shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem. And so now they begin to question their alliance with Egypt. Egypt is like a bruised reed. If you lean upon it, it's going to break and it's going to pierce your hand. You're going to find no confidence uh, within that alliance. And then also they uh, start questioning their trust in the Lord. They were somewhat confused concerning uh, the pagan worship and the true worship of their Jehovah God. Uh, nevertheless, they were using this as tactics to cause doubt and fear within the hearts of the Jewish people. Furthermore, as we continue in verse number 25, they lie that God is on the side of the Assyrians. Uh, they try to convince the Jewish people, you're outside of the will of God. We are in the will of God. Your God has sent us uh, to conquer your city. And it reads there, am I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Then finally, in verse number 28 down to verse number 30, they cast out concerning the leadership of their king, King Hezekiah. It says, Then Rabshakeh stood and cried with a loud voice in the Jews' language and spake, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus saith the king, Let not Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you out of his hand. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. And so they start accusing Hezekiah of being a liar and that it is futile to trust in their Lord. 
And they continually discourage and they continually deceive the people of God. And it gets to a point where even King Hezekiah's trusted advisors, they are uh, shaken up and they are disheartened concerning the situation. And the Bible reads in verse 37 of the same chapter, Then came Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, which was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and Joah the son of Asaph the recorder, to Hezekiah with their clothes rent. Uh, they, were, they were lost. They were, they were discouraged. Their hearts were filled with fear concerning their situation. And the Bible says, and they told him, Hezekiah, the words of the Rabshakeh. And you see, whenever we try to do something for the Lord, you see, whenever in our life we try to take a stand for the convictions that we have within the word of God, and whenever we attempt to try to move forward by faith, trusting that it is the will of God, there will always be a rapture. Uh, mark my words here this morning, there will always be the kingdom of Assyria that opposes you, that tries to cast doubt into your heart and discourage you and to fill your mind with fear, telling you it cannot be done, uh, that you are crazy, that you're outside of the will of God, and, and the venture that you take by faith is bound to fail. You are going to be a failure within your life. Uh, I remember even before we started the church over in Eastville, I received a phone call and, and, uh, and we, had a, we had a separate number for the church. And whenever I got a phone call on that number, uh, I was excited. I just wanted to talk to anybody about the church and try to get any uh, warm body into that very first service. And, and I remember I received a phone call and the man uh, on the other line was asking me some questions and, and he said he received a flyer. He was asking, where do you meet? And, and I have some little ones and what are you gonna do about your children's church? And uh, at that time, we had it arranged that we were going to use a, a school uh, multi-purpose room. And uh, the school principal there only allowed us to have church on the tiles of, the, of that multi-purpose room. She would not let us even uh, approach the stage area because it was carpeted. And she had good reason why uh, she had those uh, different restrictions for us. Because the church that was using that school prior to us... Uh, they didn't have a good testimony. They used the classrooms, they used the library, and they started ruining the books. Uh, they also uh, tore down uh, a, a very expensive curtain that was hanging there on that stage. And so when we approached the school, she said we can use their facilities, but we could only have the tiles in the multi-purpose room. And so that's what we had to work with. It's, it was a space of about uh, 3,000 square feet. And so we decided as we were planning that we would purchase uh, six feet uh, tall dividing walls, portable dividing walls, and uh, we would set that up right in the middle of that multi-purpose room, and on the front side, uh, we'd set up our chairs, and we'd have church, and I'll preach from that side, and then behind in the same room, and keep in mind, the, uh, the ceiling there was about 20 feet high, and so all the sound would travel, but on the back side of the six feet partition walls, we had two 10 by 20 tents. And we set up tents and we rolled out carpet and uh, one tent was children's church and one tent was going to be our nursery. And I remember throughout the first several months of our church as people came, I used to always tell them, this is a great church. When you come, you get preaching from the front and you get preaching from the back from all the kids and all the noise uh, that's coming from the other side. And uh, I remember I was talking to this gentleman and I told him my plan and, and I thought it was a great idea. I thought we were being creative and we're stepping out by faith and, and I thought it was going to work out great. But I remember as I told him our plan, immediately he responded. And I have no idea why, but, but he was very angry. 
And he said, you can't do that. He, he said, you're crazy. He said, I know that school. I've been to Vandermolen Elementary. I know that multi-purpose room. There's no way that you can have church within that one building. And that's never going to work. And mark my words, families with children will never come to your church. And I remember hanging up that phone and I was discouraged. And I thought to myself, uh, he's right. I mean, no parent in their right mind is going to want to send their children to a 10 by 20 tent on the other side of where they're having the adult service. And, and my heart was filled with fear during that time. I remember after our first service, our launch Sunday, there was a man that sat in the corner and uh, he was sharply dressed in a very nice suit. And he was, I found out later, an aspiring politician. He was trying to become an assemblyman uh, here in our state. And uh, after that service was done, he made a beeline directly towards me. And I preached my heart out that morning, and I thought he was going to come and say, Pastor, thank you so much for the service, and this is great, and, and uh, thank you for the message that you preached here this morning. Uh, but I remember his words. He came right up to me. He shook my hand, and he said, you can never build a church this way. And I thought, what way? I thought, I thought we're just stepping out by faith. He said, you could never build a church this way. He said, you preach too long. He said, nobody in this area will come if you preach for longer than 30 minutes. You have to shorten your message if you're going to build a church in the city of Eastville. And I remember thinking to myself during those early days that this is not going to work and, and at any moment this is going to fall apart and they're right and I have no idea what I'm doing. And time and time again I was enveloped with the psychological warfare with doubt and discouragement and fear. And I remember constantly having to remind myself concerning the promises of God in Philippians chapter number four, verse number six, be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. I remember over and over quoting to myself 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse number 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I'm simply trying to say here this morning that whenever we try to do anything for the Lord, there will always be some opposition and there will always be some aspect of psychological warfare where the wicked one is attempting to fill your hearts with fear and doubt and discouragement. And you see, that's exactly what happened to the people here in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, these Jewish people, as they constantly were listening to Tartan and Rapsaris and, and the Rapshika, they were beginning to doubt their faith. Uh, they were beginning to doubt their trust in the Lord and, and the possibilities of what God could do. And they were filled with fear within their hearts. And so we find here, first of all, the situation uh, that had developed. But then I want you to notice with me as we move on, we find here the strategy of defense. And now as we come back to our passage in chapter 19, I find here in verse number 14, the Bible reads, And Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And here's a letter now, another threatening message sent by King Sennacherib via the Rapshika, discouraging King Hezekiah that military victory uh, was impossible and the only logical decision would be to surrender to 
his armies. And the Bible records that once King Hezekiah received this letter, and once he read this letter, he did not gather with his advisors and his generals. Uh, He did not take an inventory of his soldiers and his armory. He did not attempt to solicit the help of other kings and nations. But we find here the Bible teaches us that he took the letter and he entered into the house of the Lord and he spread it before God Almighty in prayer. And I wonder here this morning, how do we respond to the problems that we face within this life? Do we try to solve it with our own strength and with our own intellect? Do we worry and remain paralyzed in fear? Do we turn immediately to the internet and try to Google a solution? Or do we seek the help of Almighty God? And you see here this morning, we must learn to take our problems to the Lord and to turn every care into prayer. For the Bible teaches us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. And that's exactly what King Hezekiah did. Uh, He took that letter. Uh, I'm sure he was discouraged as he read that letter. And the first thing he did was enter into the house of the Lord and he spread it before God, the one that could make the difference in that situation. And he prayed before his God. And I want you to notice a few aspects concerning his prayer and why God was pleased with this prayer. I believe, first of all, because it was a prayer of great faith. He didn't know exactly how this was all going to pan out. Nevertheless, he trusted in God, and instead of focusing on his problem, he fixed his eyes on the Lord. It reminds me of the prayer of King Jehoshaphat when he found himself in a similar situation. I love this verse in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse number 12. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do. But our eyes are upon thee. And we might not know what to do, but we can turn our eyes to the Lord and we can keep our faith in God. I find here he had faith in the character of God. Notice his prayer in verse 15. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubim, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. And we must always remember that when we pray, we are not praying to a God. And we're not praying to a king, but we pray to the king of kings. And we pray to the one who reigns over all the kingdoms and the nations of the earth. We are praying to the one and only God of heaven, the Lord of hosts. In Psalm 86, verse number 10, it says, For thou art great and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. And he is God alone. He alone is almighty here this morning. He alone is perfect. And he alone is great. Uh, I like the story of King Louis XIV in 1715. uh, He was the king of France who died after a reign of 72 years. And I read the story that he called himself the great. He was the one that was uh, notorious for the famous statement, I am the state. And his court was the most magnificent in Europe, and his funeral was equally spectacular. And as his body lay in state in a golden coffin, orders were given that the cathedral should be dimly lit with only a special candle set above his coffin to dramatize his greatness. And at the memorial, thousands waited in hushed silence. Then Bishop Massillon prepared to speak, but before he did, he slowly reached down 
and he snuffed out the candle and he said these words, only God is great. And we must remember that as we pray, we go to the great God. We go to the one who has all the answers, uh, the one who is omnipotent according to the scriptures. He had faith in the character of God. He had faith also in the capability of God. And notice as he continues in that prayer, thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see and hear the words of Sennacherib, which has sent him to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods but the work of men's hands. Wood and stone, therefore, they have destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand. And Hezekiah knew very well the immense power of the Assyrian army. He knew the history uh, of their conquest, but he also knew that his God made heaven and the earth and that he was omnipotent and that he is the all-powerful one. And you see here this morning, it doesn't matter if our problem is an army of 185,000 trained Assyrian soldiers or if our problem is some financial predicament or if our problem is a boss or a coworker who opposes our faith or if our problem is a sickness or even a virus here this morning that is permeating throughout our communities, we must always remember that God is greater than our problems and there is nothing too hard for the Lord and God can and he will provide and God will give strength and God will give wisdom and guidance and God never fails and he promises that he will help you and he will help me if we press forward by faith and if we press forward on our knees trusting in the Lord. And God always provides and God always makes a way and God always gives the victory. Back on March 13th, of last year, 2020, I received notification from our school district that they were suspending all use of the facilities for outside groups effective immediately. I had no idea what to do. This was a Friday night, and, and uh, so I did what, what I only knew what to do, and I called all the men in our church, and I told them the situation, and I simply uh, asked them all to pray that somehow God would provide a location where we could gather. And God provided a church member's warehouse where we were able to meet for our service on, on March the 15th for that Sunday. Uh, and then we completely went online, as many other churches did, for the next 14 weeks. Uh, I remember thinking during that season, what's going to happen to our church? Uh, where are we going to meet? And, and are we going to even be able to financially survive uh, this season that we are entering? And, and I didn't really know what to do, but just to keep praying and just to keep asking as many people as possible that they would pray concerning our situation, that God would find us a place and that God would continuously keep our church afloat for his glory. And since that time, God has continually provided a location uh, for our church to gather. We met in a hotel meeting uh, conference room for uh, four weeks. And then two weeks after that, we were able to make arrangements to meet in the parking lot of our community, uh, of our city's community center. And uh, we've been out there now, as Dr. Getch mentioned, for 30 Sundays. Uh, we had our missions month out there, had four missionaries come through and were able to take all of them uh, on for monthly support. We had a special uh, harvest Sunday in the rain, a big promotion and, and went out canvassing and sent out mailers and, and inviting folks to come and setting up a pumpkin patch there on the asphalt uh, in the parking lot. We were excited about that Sunday and, and just about 15 minutes before it started, it began to rain. 
and uh, we had to run around and find trash bags and cover all the uh, electrical uh, uh, cords that we had and cover the speakers and all the uh, different extension cords that we had that morning, but still God blessed it, and we had 12 uh, first-time visiting families that came out uh, in the rain for that special Sunday. I remember having uh, Dr. Getch with us and Dr. Rasmussen with us, and, and I remember as, uh, as when Dr. Getch came, that was our anniversary Sunday, it was a windy morning, and, and uh, we have some umbrellas to create some shade, and I remember as Dr. Getch preached, that umbrella uh, fell over on him, and we had to run and, and pick that up, and he didn't miss a beat, he just kept preaching uh, the Word of God. We've had lunch fellowships out there, Christmas uh, parties in the parking lot, Vision Sunday, Ministry Involvement Sunday, all out in the parking lot, and it's been great, and God's people have been patient, and they've been faithful, trusting that God would continue to guide. Uh, furthermore, financially, God's people have been faithful, and God has provided for that parking lot. 30 Sundays, we have yet to pay one penny uh, for using that area of our city. Uh, God has allowed us to increase in our missions giving. God has allowed us uh, during this COVID period to have the highest giving month that we've ever had in the history of our church. On top of that, we've been able to see uh, the financial giving increasing quarter after quarter. And, and God has been good to us and God has provided for every single one of our needs. And I'm simply saying here today that God is able and God always has a plan and God will always make a way. And we must have faith in the character of God. And we must have faith in the capability of God. And that's why I believe that God was pleased with Hezekiah's prayer. I also believe God was pleased because of Hezekiah's focus in his prayer. At the end of verse 19, it says that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. And although Hezekiah sought for personal and national deliverance, his heart was that the name of God would not be reproached. And his focus was that ultimately God would receive all the glory. And that needs to be our desire as well as we pray. Uh, that it's not for our selfish ambition. And some of you might be praying about planning a, a church somewhere in the next several years. And, and we must make sure that we evaluate our hearts. And, and the ultimate end goal is that God would be glorified. Uh, the ultimate end goal would be that the Great Commission would be fulfilled and continue to press forward and that God would be magnified within that city and within that place that all the people would know that there's a God in heaven. And I think about what Charles Spurgeon said, this is the way to pray. When thy prayers seek God's glory, it is God's glory to answer thy prayers. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. And so we find here this morning the situation that had developed. Can you see the picture? A physical warfare uh, besieged by the armies of Assyria. 185,000 trained soldiers and then the psychological warfare. You're trusting in Egypt. You're trusting in your alliances. You're trusting in your God. You're trusting in Hezekiah. You're going to fail. We're going we're to enter and destroy your city. The doubt and the fear that enveloped even the trusted advisors of Hezekiah. And then the strategy of defense that he spread the letter before the Lord. And he prayed with great faith and the proper focus. And then lastly, as we close here this morning, I want you to notice with me very quickly the solution of deliverance. And I think most of us know how this story ends. 
The Bible says in 2 Kings 19.20, Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, That which thou hast prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. And then towards the end of that chapter in verse 32, Therefore thus saith the Lord God concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor cast a bank against it, by the way that he came, by the same shall he return and shall not come into the city, saith the Lord. For I will defend the city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred, fourscore, and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. And in one night, God completely removed King Hezekiah's problem. Uh, King Hezekiah didn't have to swing a sword. He didn't send one soldier into battle for God had a better solution and God sent an angel. And overnight, the angel of God destroyed 185,000 soldiers of the Assyrians. And you see, God's solution is always better than our solutions and his way is always higher than our ways and and he is much wiser than we are and and God always has a plan and and we can know those solutions but we could only know them and experience them if we would pray as we spend time moving forward by faith on our needs trusting in the Lord and God desires to intervene and help us with our problems and to give us grace and strength in our distress. But first we must pray, and we must pray with faith, and we must pray with the right focus. And I simply want to encourage you here this morning. Uh, they might, there might be some of you here, and God's placed a burden upon your heart to go out there and plant a church, and, and you might be arguing with the Lord and saying, Lord, I have, I have no talents, and and I don't really know the first thing about planning a church, and, and uh, I'm, I'm maybe socially awkward a little bit, and, and uh, I'm not really good with relationships, and you might have a lot of doubt and fear within your heart. But I want to encourage you that your God is greater, and God can make a way, and God can use you uh, to go into a city and to preach God's word and to reach families with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest battle plan, I believe, when it comes to planning a church is the plan of prayer, is a life of prayer to move forward on your knees, trusting in the Lord and seeking his divine enablement and his continual grace 